When you go to the doctor, what is the first thing they do to you? I've not been to that doctor, and I don't think I'm going. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they weigh you, right? Height, weight, that type of stuff. Then what, when you're in the room, before they take off your pants, um, I'm, I need to get that image out of my mind. Um, what do they do? What's the nurse come in? What does she do? Takes your blood pressure, temperature, asks you all this kind of stuff about what's going on. Well, what we're doing in this whole series, Building a Great Life series, we're attempting to get you to realize where you are spiritually. We're getting you, we want you to think about your, your temperature um, spiritually, which we're going to talk about today is serving. Last week we talked about faith, and we said that faith is, uh, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is like your blood pressure. And if you're not exercising spiritually, you got no faith. And one of the ways that, that, that you demonstrate your faith, it's not in attendance. You demonstrate your faith by giving, by praying, by serving. And so we're trying to give you a spiritual checkup over these next few weeks. And at the end of that time, we're asking God to do some things that only God can do. Not so that we get any glory, so that God gets all of the glory. And, and quite honestly, um, some of you are going to go out and you're going to get your contribution statements. You're going to open that contribution statement. Some of you are going to be shocked at the amount of money that you gave. Shocked in a good way. You're going to go, no way. Where... I made that much, 10%, holy cow, where did it go? Some of you are going to be like that. Some of you are going to go out there and you're going to open up that contribution statement and you're going to go, wow, that's all I gave? And, and by the way, if, if, you, if you don't give or if you give cash and you don't put it in the envelope, we don't know who to give credit for and that's okay if you don't want credit. Some of you aren't going to have an envelope out there. And, and that's between you and God. I, I've gone through and, and I have a list I had Janie print this up. I have a list of, of everybody who gave anything this last year. And I counted of all the people who gave any amount of money. We have 23 families in this church that tithe. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing because, you know, I can do math. And, and I'm guessing if, if you gave $400, I'm guessing you made more than 4000 last year. Right? Is that a safe guess for the year? So if I see a, a significant amount of money, I count that. And, and, you know, in some ways, I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. Because I've always told my family, I said, man, this, this church gets it. More people give at this church than, percentage-wise than any church I've ever been in. But in some ways, that's, that's, that's not good. Because we talk about it all the time. We expect church members to give. We ex- and, and the starting point for Christians, Old Testament and New Testament, is 10%. And then the, the offerings are over and above that. And that's what we're asking um, for on February 28th. Now, today, we're going to talk specifically about serving and exercising your spiritual muscles in serving. And, and I want to ask you a question as we're in this series, Building a Great Life. I want to ask you this question. What is greatness? And if you're in small groups tonight, you're going to talk about it. First question is you're going to define greatness tonight. And you're going to think about people in different areas that are great, that just come to mind, whether it's financially or, or uh, athletically. You're going to think about different folks. And you're going to come up with some stuff. But how do you define greatness? Because I meet very few people that want to be mediocre. My goal in life is to be a mediocre parent. I want to have a mediocre job. I want to make mediocre money. 
I want to make mediocre children. Right? No. You want to excel. You want to be great. But my question is, how do you define greatness? Where are you getting that from? Because if it's the magazine pages, you're going to be jacked up. People in Hollywood are jacked up. I saw a deal the other day, the most married celebrities. Holy cow. How many times can you keep doing it? I mean, some of them were like over a dozen times they've been married. And they don't work and they think the next one. It's not the next one's the problem. It's you. Anyway. We're going to look at how Jesus defines greatness today. Because I think deep down, every one of you wants to be great. You want to excel. So we're going to go back 2,000 years ago, and we're going to start at this point. I just got to tell you what's going on. Jesus has called his followers to himself. And and this is a story you've probably heard before, but let's kind of open this up and figure out um, the difference in the world's definition and Jesus' definition. It's in Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, if, if you think about this, what she wanted was greatness for her sons. She wanted them to be lifted up. She wanted them to be recognized. And, and she was being a, a good Jewish mom, but all she was saying to Jesus was, because in those days, you thought of a king as sitting on a throne, and it was a nice throne, and only the highest, best people got to sit on a throne near him. So she's saying, Jesus, in your kingdom, which is the greatest kingdom of all time, forever, I want my sons, James and John, one to sit on your right, one to sit on your left. That's all I ask. That's such a small request, Jesus. Now, you can't blame this good Jewish mother, can you? Moms, don't you want greatness for your kids? Right? Just think if your kids were like the highest, I started saying political power, but that may not be where you want them nowadays. Let's say they're, they're in some organization. When we were in Arlington, we knew a lot of people that were way up in the Rangers, and <laughs> we got tickets one time, and the girl that was in our, our Sunday school class she, her dad was like third in command of the Rangers. And so when we got stuff for the dot race, she would come hand us out the winning dot color because she already knew. I mean, that's power. If you know who's going to win the dot race at the Rangers game, that's power. Wouldn't you be proud if your son or daughter was in a position of power with the Rangers? You'd get us good tickets. I never did get to sit in a suite, though, and, and I'm still bitter about that. But, but one of you is going to be great in the Rangers organization. You're going to get me tickets to a suite. So mom comes in and she says, Jesus, I just want greatness for my sons. And, and then notice what happens in verse 24. The other disciples hear about it. And how do you think they respond? They're ticked. When the, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That's a good word, indignant. You ever been indignant? If you have siblings, you've been indignant. You've practiced it a lot. Because they would ask for something before you thought to ask... And you were ticked, not necessarily because they're getting it, but because they thought to ask before you thought to ask, right? You've been indignant. And it's like they're saying, James and John, you big fat kiss-ups. How dare you think of that question to ask Jesus before we Because like, I think the disciples, because they were always arguing over who was going to be the greatest. And I think they were thinking, man, if there is a position of power to be had in Jesus' kingdom, I'm going to be fighting. As long as it's still open, I'm fighting. And that's what I think they were doing. And, and so they thought the path to greatness was simply ask Jesus and he's going to make you great. Is it that easy? 
Well, Jesus does at this point, he does what he always does. He gathers everybody together because things were getting kind of a little bit out of control, a little testy. That never happens in the church, does it? People never get... Okay. Liars. And so Jesus draws them all together, and look what he says. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. New rule! Y'all ever play a game when you're a kid and, you know, stuff is just getting messed up? New rule! New rule! You can't do that. Jesus says, new rule! Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, I'm laughing because in my mind, when I read the Bible, I picture this stuff. I try to imagine the scene, the setting. Jesus got all of these disciples. They've been arguing about who's the greatest. And I imagine them going, what did he say? At Jesus, he's such a kidder. <laughs> slave, come on, slave. Except Jesus was dead serious. And then to prove the point, look at verse 28. For even the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite term for himself. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Jesus said, guys, the very reason I came was to serve. And I expect you to do the same thing. Now, this is radical. Everyone in the world says in order to be great, you rise to the top. You've heard the saying, uh, cream rises to the top, right? So if we were just going to demonstrate the world's method to greatness, we would say, wherever you are, you start out at the bottom. And in order to get to the top, you step over whoever you have to step over or on whoever you have to step on. And if that, if it doesn't matter as long as you keep moving to the top. And when you get to the top, if you step over enough people, we call you great. If you're in the, the national football playoffs and you go through the, the whole playoff system and you get to be champion, one of the greatest things they say about quarterbacks, they say, how many Super Bowls has he won? How many times has he defeated other people? And if you do that enough, you're called great. And Jesus comes along, he says, new rule. My kingdom is not like this. My kingdom says, you want to be great? You go down. In uh, Bethlehem, there's a, there's a church built supposedly where, to commemorate where Jesus was born. Tradition has it that Jesus was born in a cave. And you can walk into the church in Bethlehem and, and you can walk in just like this, standing, and you can, you can admire all of the stuff in the church, the, the things that are commemorating Jesus' birth. But at the back, just behind the church, you go into what they think may have been the cave where he was born, and there's a star on the floor commemorating where Jesus was born. The, the difference is, though, in big church, you just walk in. But to go see where Jesus was born, you have to stoop, and you have to go down you have to bow down to even get in the room that commemorates the birth of the Savior. And Jesus says, you want to be great in my kingdom? You don't do it standing up. You do it bowing down. You descend into greatness in the kingdom of God. Now, how do you think the disciples responded? Jesus calls us to be different. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And if serving, if the amount of serving that we do in churches, if that could be equated to the wattage of light, 
Some of us are pretty dim bulbs. Jesus said, I set you on a hill and you're supposed to shine in the darkness. And the lights have gone out in too many churches because we think church is about me. Our church exists for people that aren't even here yet. We give and we serve because there are people going to hell and we think that's unacceptable. Do you know the only people that ever complain about a tithing servant are people who don't tithe. The only people who ever complain about a serving sermon are people who don't serve. Your service demonstrates the condition of your heart. Here, let me give you five things about service. Uh, In preparation for this message, there are over 12 things from the New Testament about service, but I cut them down to five because I didn't think you could handle 12. All right? All right, let's go. Number one, I was created for service. God specifically designed me for that purpose. I was designed for it. He made me for it. Ephesians 2.10 says this. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives. That's very key there, new lives. Gave us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Long ages ago, actually, if you go back and you read the translation, before God ever created the world, he knew that we would sin. He knew that we would need a Savior. He planned on sending his son. His son was in on the plan to come and to die for us, to live a sinless life, to die for us on our behalf, so that anybody who comes through him could have eternal life. He planned not only for his son to come, but he planned for every Everyone who became a member of God's family to spend their lives serving. This was God's plan. This isn't a new plan. From the beginning, before you and I existed, before the planets or the universe existed, He planned on us serving. God designed the whole world with everything would have a purpose. He made dogs to be dogs. I'm not sure why mosquitoes are here, but we'll get to ask him when we go to heaven. He made cows to do cowly kind of things. Bees have a function. And you know what human beings function is? The purpose that we're on this planet? To serve. In the Bible, we use this this term called ministry. And here, if you go through class 101, we teach that, that, that every member is a minister. You are good at something. You're a 10 in some area. And every ministry is important. And, and the other day I found a... Uh, I was looking for a flashlight and I found this flashlight and, and I needed it. And of course it didn't work. And, and I opened it up to see why it didn't work. And the batteries had corroded. What happens to a battery when, when it corrodes? It oozes out and junk gets everywhere. And not only did it mess up my batteries but it messed up my flashlight so that when I put in new batteries, the flashlight still didn't work because it was so corroded. The point that I want you to understand is spiritually, you were designed by God to serve. And when you don't serve, you corrode on the inside. And then it's not long before that corrosion comes to the outside. Have you seen people that you see their face and you know on their face they're miserable? It's because they are absorbed with themselves. A battery is designed to power something else. Your spiritual battery was designed to be recharged when you serve other people whom God made. And by the way, that's why we don't make a distinction between races, colors, whether you come from this background or this background, how much money you've got, how much you don't have. And and another reason I think that God tells us to give 10% is so that we're all on equal level. 10%. 
means all of us are sacrificing equal sacrifice, not equal amounts, equal sacrifice. And if you want to be recharged spiritually, then you need to start serving. You were created for that reason. When you don't serve, you become more selfish. That's a law of the universe. Number two, serving proves I belong to Christ. It proves I belong to Christ. Now listen, this is what I did not say. I did not say that serving saves you. Serving does not make you a child of God. Serving proves that you already are a child of God. If you don't serve, it means you don't really understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because when I see that he saves me from hell, from what I deserve, I'm grateful. And out of gratitude, I serve him. Look what Romans 7, 4 says. You are part of the body. I want you to circle that word. You've got it on your listening guide. Circle that. You are part of the body of Christ. And now you belong to him who was raised from death in order that we might be useful in the service of God. When you become a Christ follower, you are added to the body. And you're supposed to. God expects you to be a member of some church. And, and most of the time in the New Testament, when the word church is used, it refers to a local body. So God wants you to be attached to some local body. There's no such thing in the New Testament as Lone Ranger Christians. You're supposed to be attached to a body. And in the New Testament times, whenever a new person would become a follower of Christ, they would welcome them in by saying this. They would say, welcome. Jesus Christ now has a new pair of eyes to see with. Jesus Christ has a new pair of ears to listen with, to listen to the hurts of others with. Jesus Christ has a new pair of hands to help others. Jesus Christ now has a new heart to love others with because you were added to the body of Christ. Ministry, serving, not attendance, is proof that you belong in the family of God. Number three, serving others is serving God. Okay, I want you all to do something with me because, you know, about this time somebody, somebody's getting sleepy. So everybody close your eyes. Put your fingers in your ears and go. Come on, come on, everybody, everybody. I want them to hear this on the CD. I want everybody in the children's area to be thinking they're weird in there. I'm never going back. Okay, ready? Do it. Now, good job. This is the guy who takes his pants off every time he goes to the doctor. Explains a lot. Um, <laughs> You love your doctor? Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Images that should not be in church. We're going to write that one down. We have a list, by the way. Um, now, if you don't want to be held accountable for what I'm about to say, you need to close your eyes, you need to stick your fingers in your ears, and you need to not listen. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's talking about judgment day where people are going to stand before him. And, and Jesus is going to say, you didn't serve me when I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was uh, without shelter, you didn't give me shelter. And people are going to say, Jesus, we never saw you like that. No, 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 no. Jesus, when did we do that? And Jesus is going to say, uh, in verse 20, uh, Matthew 25, 40, then the king will answer, I tell you the truth, anything you did for even the least of my people here, you did also for me. If I'm not serving people, Bottom line is, I am not serving God. Jesus makes it real clear. When we give a cup of cold water, when we gave to World Vision so that sexually exploited girls could be rescued from other parts of the world, we're serving Christ. When we gave a fishing pond, we're serving Christ. When we gave to American Samoa, we are serving Christ when the, when the tsunami hit there. 
When we give and we serve, Jesus said, it is just as if you were serving me. But when you don't do it, he says, you are not serving me. Number four, serving gives my life meaning. I love 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight in the Good News Translation. Keep busy in your work for the Lord since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever without value. Nothing you do for God is without value. Oh, I'm just a door greeter. Nothing you do for God is without value. Oh, I just am a parking lot attendant. We're about to have a whole lot more parking lot. That job went way up in value as we try to figure out how to park more people here on this campus. Oh, I'm just this. I'm just that. I just run the sound. I just run the computer. I just... No, there is no such thing as I just do this. Nothing is without value when you serve God. Can you say that about anything else that you're doing? A lot of what you and I do has no value in the long term. None. But anything you do for God has value. Mark 8.35 says, If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. If you want to really live, the Bible says give your life away. And uh, you know who I think the heroes are every weekend? It's the people back in the children's area. Because they serve. They wipe runny noses. They, they wipe other parts of the body that need to be wiped. They take little children who may or may not be potty trained to the bathroom. And when they have accidents, they serve. And, and, you know, some of your kids are brats. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you've told me. You've told, I've not observed it. You've told me. Some of your kids are brats. And some of you are so grateful to God that we have a service that you don't have to sit in with your children, that you can take them back there and give them to somebody else. And you pray and you thank God every week that you get an hour off from your children. And just imagine, because some of you have been in churches where at four, four o'clock, at four, age four, kids come into the service. And you don't hear anything for the next 11 years. You as the parent of that four-year-old child. Because you have to constantly be trying to keep them quiet. Because that's what Jesus wants, his kids to shut up and listen. Right? Shh! Don't you smile in here. Don't you have any fun? This is church. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're trying to convey to children when we tell them to shut up and listen to a sermon that's not designed for them. And some of you, just out of sheer gratitude for somebody else giving you a break one hour a week, need to serve. One hour a month. We're going to give you a chance at the end of the service, by the way. There are tables out there, and you can't, you can't leave without going by a table. We designed it that way because we want you to sign up. You're going to give your life to something. Do you really want to just give your life to a job where it, after 30 years or however long you retire, they give you a gold watch and pat you on the back and say, go die? I mean, they don't say that, but that's really what they're saying. Move on down the road, go die, because somebody else is coming along. Do you really want to give your money to, to a bank account where when you die, they give it to people who don't even appreciate it? Your children. Um, they didn't work for it. And I'm not saying, I'm, I plan to leave stuff to my kids, but I plan to leave stuff to the kingdom of God as well. Do you really want that to be the donation of your life? 
Some people try to get pleasure or attain some kind of status, and and that's that's the extent of their goals in life. You're going to give your life to something. So the question is, are you giving your, your life to the right things? If, if you put on my tombstone, he lived for God, his family, and for New Life Community Church, I'd be pleased with that. Because I fully expect this church to be going on long after I'm gone. Or I will haunt you. I, not really. That's not in the Bible. I'm just making that up. This church is going to last longer than us. And so I, although I complain sometimes when I have to dig in the dirt. Yeah, Jeff got to do some plumbing yesterday because I had a slight family emergency and I was grateful to God Jeff got to do plumbing. But you're going to give your life for something. Why not give for something that lasts at least a portion of your life? I'm not saying you, you become monks and we all come live here and no, no, I'm not interested in that. That's boring. But donate some time and some money and some effort into something that lasts because your kids are going to see it. Number five, my serving will be rewarded forever. John twelve twenty six. Jesus is talking. He says, my father will honor anyone who serves me. I, I shared with you last year, um, I went to see my dad. Dad's 87, about to turn 88. And uh, I told you that I just went up and said, Dad, are you proud of me? Because I'd never heard it. I'm 45 years old, and I desperately wanted to have my dad say, I'm proud of your son. Um, he said, of course I am. You know, we had this great talk and all that stuff. But, but the Bible says when I serve God and whenever my time on earth is done, your time on earth is done, and you enter into that holy city, you come down that ramp and enter into that holy city, You're going to meet God, and if you're his follower, he's going to say, come in. He's going to pat you on the back. He's going to say, good job. You done good. And we get to celebrate with him for eternity. And I fully expect to meet people who said, because you gave to World Vision, I'm here. I'm a part of the kingdom. Because you gave to renovate the old skating rink, I came to know Jesus. Because you served, I came to know Jesus. The kids that go into my wife's class, she's in here, by the way. This is like the first time in several months. Because she serves all the time. The kids that come into her class love Miss Janie. She loves on them and she teaches them about God. And your kids get loved on in her class. I can say that about all the teachers back there. Gabby's in here too. She doesn't usually get to come in here. Because she's loving on your kids during this time. But it's unhealthy for them to be there week after week after week and never get to be with big people. So that's why the tables are going to be out there today. We fully expect you to go out and sign up. How do we become better at serving? If serving really matters, how do we become better? Let's finish this up. Number one, get over yourself. (laughs) 1 Peter 5.5 says... And all of you serve each other with humble spirits, for God gives special blessings to those who are humble, but sets himself against those who are proud. God notices humble people. Throughout the Bible, all you'll see is God pays attention to humble people, and he sets himself up to oppose the proud. 
And really, you know, let's just boil it down. Because I told you, I, I warned you last week or two weeks ago that if you didn't want to grow and you didn't want to hear the truth, don't come. Find another church for the next five or six weeks because we're going to not pull any punches. Let's, let's get there. The real reason you don't give and you don't serve is that you think your priorities are better than God's. If you boil it down, there are only real two possibilities for not giving and not serving. Either, number one, you don't know you're supposed to or you just don't care. If you can find another possibility, come tell me and I'll share that next week, that there's a third possibility. But so far, I see two possibilities. You don't know you're supposed to serve and give or you just don't care. And I'll share whatever you, you bring to me. But you got to get over yourself if you're going to learn to be a servant. Number two, remember what you have. This is big. Romans 12.1 says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let, him be a living, let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? See, the best servants, the greatest servants for God are the most grateful servants to God. They're grateful for what they have. Too many folks focus on what they don't have. This is the American sickness, the epidemic that's sweeping America, is that we look at everybody else's stuff and we want what they have instead of being content with what we do have. So here's my assignment to you today. When you leave this service and you walk out to that car that isn't as bright and new or as shiny as you'd like it to be, here's what you say. I want you to practice this right now. You say, it could be worse. Ready? Say it. Okay, so when you go to your car today and you stick the key in and you see the scratches and the dings and all of that stuff, what are you going to say? When you go home today and you go to your front door and you unlock that door and you see the, the trim that's falling down and, and maybe the doorknob doesn't even work right and you know that the toilet's leaking, you're going to say, whenever you brush your teeth tonight and your smile isn't as shiny as you want it to be and maybe your teeth are crooked and your hair is gone, and, and your profile isn't what it used to be. And you're looking at that, you say, when you crawl into that bed, that is a sorry excuse for a bed that doesn't have enough support and has probably, no, never mind. You just say, when you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you see your spouse, you, don't you do it. <laughs> don't you dare do it. It, could, it couldn't be better? Okay. I thought you said it could be better. I was going, oh, Dustin, you missed the point. No, he said it couldn't be better. Good answer. Good answer. Now, when you complain, you actually shut off God's blessings from you. God will either remove your, blessing, uh, remove your, your troubles or he'll give you the strength to endure so that you come out the other side stronger. But when you complain, God says you're on your own. God blesses grateful people. So remember what you have and be thankful. And one of our services, we're just going to spend time thanking God for what we have. I'm going to tell you now to start making that list because we're going to thank God for what we have. When you choose to live a full service life in a negative service world, that's when we begin to shine. That's when lost people begin to say there's something different there. And that's when we are like stars shining in a dark night and people are drawn to the God that we say we serve when we become grateful servants. Number three, pursue wisdom. If you're a believer, you can have God's wisdom. You can have wisdom that other people don't have. 
Look at Proverbs 2, 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Cry out for wisdom and beg for understanding. Search for it like silver and hunt for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand respect for the Lord and you will find out that you know God. What in the world do wisdom and serving have to do with one another? When you pray and ask God to give you wisdom, he shows you when, who, and where to serve. Let's be honest. Some of you are serving either members of your family or you're serving. Some of you are serving and and you think it's real service, but what you're doing is rescuing. What you're really doing is you're enabling people to continue in patterns that do not please God. And maybe God's saying they need to grow up and, and learn how to do things on their own. And when you cry out for wisdom and discernment, God says, if you ask, he gives generously to all without finding fault in James 1.5. So if you need wisdom, you ask God, and then he shows you who, when, and how to serve. But let me just suggest something in the meantime. If, you, if we don't have a ministry here that's exactly what you think you should be doing, serve somewhere, experiment somewhere. We have the type of church that if you go back there and you get puked on and you just think, man, I'm going to lose it, you don't ever have to serve there again. But you don't... <laughs> Jeff served with children the other day, and he said, that is not his calling. You don't ever have to serve there again, but you don't have the choice to sit down and not serve at all. Because if we're going to reach who God wants us to reach, we've got to have servants, and we need more of them. And, and I'm not trying to guilt you. Again, if you feel guilty, don't go sign anything. But if God convicts you, that's something totally different, that you need to get off your rear and serve. Shortly after World War II came to close in Europe, um, the Allies were trying to rebuild things, and, and it was especially sad to watch the, uh, the orphans running around. Kids have been orphaned by the war. And there's a story, a famous story, where one American GI was driving his Jeep, and, and he comes down the road, and he sees this little kid, this orphan boy, at a bakery with his nose pressed up against the window looking in. And... Uh, so the GI pulls over and he walks up and he says, he says, son, do you want, you want something from there? And he goes, oh, yeah. So GI goes in, gets a dozen donuts, comes back out, hands it to the little boy, and he goes, here you go. Boy opens it and GI just walks off and doesn't think much of it. He feels this tug on his shirt. And he said, mister, are you the Jesus that everybody's been talking about? When you serve... The God that you say you serve comes alive to people. And service can melt the hardest heart. But you've got to make a choice to serve. To make a difference. God wants us to be like Him. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that He gave. What are you giving for the cause of Christ? Christ. 